At lunch I eat a sandwich with a glass of Coke to roll. No one can see you drinking when you're working from home. I still produce reports in a professional font. But now when I have downtime, I can do what I want. And welcome to the Existentialist Cucumber, the podcast where we wonder, why is there no blue food? And my name is Larry Wu. And I'm Curtis Withers. You have blue ingredients, but no blue food. Why? Why? Oh, it's such a great, great joke. And rest in peace, George Carlin. <laughs> uh, uh, George Carlin is interesting because he uh, he's a comedian, definitely, that, that embodies a specific generation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh that that word's been kind of been bounced around over the last uh week um and a term i haven't heard in a while is generation x which represents uh people like you and i you you and i fall into generation x yeah i think we're we're at we're at the we're the younger edge of generation x i think yes yes i i now they're calling it, calling it young boomers or uh and then generation x but the reason why it started popping up recently is uh, I guess Curtis, we're up at bat now for vaccines here in Ontario. So they've opened it up for effectively the Generation X uh, cohort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I were talking about uh, casting a pretty wide net. So both you and I are are seeing who who gets the shot first. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, Heather and I have sort of uh, put ourselves on a bunch of sort of. I guess waiting lists at various pharmacies. But the thing is, like we've we've done the same ones, and she's heard something back. Uh, it's not an appointment, but she's actually heard heard something further than what I have. And I'm like, well, what did I do to not get this extra piece of information? I'm the same way. Uh, I I got a text. I thought I was gonna have get it in on Friday, but then I got bumped to the following Friday, three hours later. But you and I said in previous episodes. We're both pretty good at not not catching the COVID, so this is the time to just kind of keep calm and stay steady and yeah, just ride the course. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty aware that I'm not that I don't I don't need it as bad as some other people. You know, like um, you know, like like I don't go anywhere. I can do everything at home and stuff. Um, you know, obviously, I still think that at the first available opportunity, I want to get it. Um, just the more people who get it, the better. But uh, you know, it, I, I, I'm, I'm totally fine if, you know, it, it comes, it comes around to the upper beaches a little bit, a little bit later than <laughs> other places. I'm cool with that. Well, you said something interesting, which is, you know, which basically confirms my suspicion that our generation will probably be, or generation X will probably be the highest adopters of the vaccine. Um, I don't, I, I think the cohort in front of us, like that that 50, 60 uh, cohort, I think they were very, very skeptical. And, and that's why they opened it up to us earlier. I think the millennials are also a bit more skeptical in, in one way. And I had a conversation with someone because they were, you know, they are what people are referring to as the, the, the vaccine shoppers, right? Mm. so they immediately asked me oh which one do you think you'll get and i said well it'll be astrazeneca mm-hmm. and then of course you know the tone of the voice changed i said well why like i never cared about who made vaccines before they've gone into my body why do i care now mm-hmm. obviously they they you know the pre- it's it's been around in the press and whatever 
And I always say the same thing to most people uh, who ask me, oh, aren't you like scared about the side effects? I'm like, have you read the side effects for any other drug out there? And I, I brought one example out uh, to talk about. And um, this is the yellow fever vaccine. I think I talked about this before. I, I, I needed it to go to Kenya. So I'm going to read these uh, the uh, side effects of uh, the yellow fever vaccine. So this is from the CDC. Rarely, they don't even give me odds, rarely, people develop severe, sometimes life-threatening reactions to yellow fever vaccine, including allergic reaction, including difficulty breathing or swallowing, so anaphylactic, swelling of the brain, spinal cord, or the surrounding tissue. Ooh. Uh, the gillian Barr syndrome, so an uncommon sickness where the nervous system in which a person's own immune system damages the nerve cells, causing muscle weaknesses and sometimes paralysis. And, oh, at the end, internal organ dysfunction or failure. Right. Now, I got this shot because I wanted to go on vacay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll take I'll take your AstraZeneca shot where what? Uh seven people out of seven million? Yeah. Or it, I don't know what the odds are now, but I think it, it's, yeah, I think it's something it was something like one in a quarter million developed blood clots or something like that. I don't know. I I, I could be wrong, but it's something astronomically low. Curtis, swelling of the brain. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make you smarter. Like I thought, yeah, like, exactly. oh, well, that'll just make me smarter. It doesn't. Or or what was that episode of The Simpsons with the baseball? Was it? Uh, oh, uh, Ken Griffey Ozzie Jr. Smith? Uh, oh, it was Ken Griffey? Giganticism? Yeah, Ken Griffey got the giganticism. That's right. <laughs> Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen. They said grotesquely swollen jaw in the song, but it was more his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I am not hesitant. You know, give me the shot. And I, I, I'm sure you're of the same vote. And, and really... Oh, yeah. People should, um, you know, get the information, but also understand the risk. So it's either get really, really sick from this thing that's been going around globally. You know, I, I think the the risks, the the benefits outweigh the risk. Like I said, I took this shot that, uh, you know, possible organ dysfunction or failure because I wanted to see elephants in their, in their yeah. natural habitat. But you knew you knew that it probably wasn't going to happen. And uh, the thing, too, is with these blood clots, even if they do happen, unlike maybe some of these side effects from the yellow fever uh, shot, you know, those blood clots are treatable. If you see signs and you can go and you you go to the uh, to the emergency room and you can get that treated. Like, I don't know. I think you have to ignore it for it to be like, a, a really, yeah, you know, or, or if you have a known history of blood related issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I found this funny article of. of uh, from the Beaverton, as always. Uh, I'll just read the headline because, of course, you don't need to read into it. But Rosedale resident given priority vaccine so they can summer in Muskoka. <laughs> Sounds about right. There, there, there's a great quote in it, which basically says, butlers and maids really need to be made essential service so that they can get priority vaccine access. Because if you think I'm going to make my own bed and martinis like some sort of animal... You can guess again. <laughs> <laughs> the Beaverton had another good one today, just which is sort of adjacent, which was uh, something about because uh, because you know how Doug Ford is isolating now because because of right. potential yeah, yeah. COVID exposure. So uh, so it was it was something along the lines of uh, you know Doug Doug Ford happy to have 
happy to have paid sick days as he denies uh, Ontario paid sick days. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could have a whole episode. But I, you get a sense that that's going to come down the, the pipe soon. I think they, it's the only thing that they haven't done. You know, there's been there's been talk definite. There was definite talk about it today, like they're going to do it. But, you know, I think I think, you know, the the fact to me that they're doing it now makes them look even worse. Like, I, mm. I think they should still do it. But like, just just to, to, to absolutely flat out refuse, despite repeated calls to include, you know, paid sick days and then to put it out right at the end saying, oh, yeah, and I guess we'll add on these paid sick days. You know, if people if people you know, go to the poll and say, well, he did eventually give us paid sick days. I think, you know, he, he, he eventually figured it out. I'd be like, man, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. You should punish him for never giving them to you until the last minute. Uh, getting back to Generation X. So with that, I started going down this weird rabbit hole thought of um, each generation also has its own music. And I started thinking about, you know, the music that we grew up with and started feeling nostalgic for that music. And then Sunday hits and I watch the latest episode of The Simpsons, which is aptly named Panic in the Streets of Springfield, which is the episode that guest stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Quillenby, uh, who is basically Morrissey. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that episode in the headline later, but it got me really nostalgic after that. And, and people constantly talking about Generation X, Curtis. So I started going deep into the vault and started looking at music that I was listening to kind of growing up and just kind of like, oh, wow, I really had some really weird taste in music. And some, some of the stuff didn't hold up, but I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was listening to a lot of Morrissey this week <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I he, he had some, he had some decent stuff, you know, like, you know, his solo stuff is good. You know, the stuff from the Smiths good, but I, I like his solo stuff better. Um, but uh, but that also brings me to a thought um, about that time when I started listening to Morrissey, which was probably uh, 1990, I would think I would started listening to Morrissey, probably um, during that Bona Drag uh, type period. I realized how much of a music drought existed during that time. And I, I'm, I'm trying to narrow it down, but the best I could think of was about 1988 to 1991, 1990, where as a young person, I, I didn't like what was playing on mainstream radio or just being in the mainstream scene. And I started going backwards in time. So that's when I started exploring and finding out bands like, oh, there's the Smiths, Dead Kennedys. And that kind of led me to a whole bunch of music that it's no big deal now. But back then it was, you know, alternative and uh it was the college radio station music right yeah and i think i went even further back because like i know what you're saying around that time because that would be like late in high school and i wasn't really interested in in anything that was going on on the radio and i'd been like a, a you know a, a pretty big consumer of pop radio in the early 80s like i was really into that kind of stuff um but i kind of went into a sort of like 60s 70s sort of thing where I, that's all I was listening to was, was, was rock from the specifically from the sixties and seventies, and uh, just because like, I couldn't find any, anything can, you know, modern and, and contemporary that I was interested in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it did feel like that there was a bit of a drought. But let me ask you, during that drought period, was there any particular band, uh, band or bands or songs that basically made young Curtis say, okay, I'm out? Oh, like in, in uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what music was around at that time? Like the uh, either a band or song, because I, I have two in my mind as, as young Larry, where when they, when it started getting really popular and started being played everywhere in school dances, heavy rotation on radio, heavy rotation on the video uh, shows. And I just kind of went, okay, I am out. I'm sure there was. I just can't really think of a, of a good example off the top. Of my okay. Head. So maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, if I say, if I say my two, you, maybe it'll jog your memory uh, or maybe it'll, it'll, it'll awaken some horrible memory. I'm sorry, but okay. So, the first artist, which arguably, for whatever reason, in in some kind of meme format, is now popular again, is Rick Astley. When Rick Astley's big wonder album that hit, so I think I was in grade nine when that hit, so nineteen eighty nine. I would I think that 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 would be never gonna give you up. Yeah, whatever that album is in. Uh, Together Forever or whatever. Together Forever was the follow-up single, yeah. That was the first instance where I went, I'm out. And that led me to listening to, I think, really weird stuff. Like, I was listening to, like, Weird Al. Like, sort of getting into Weird Al as a result. Um, You know, and and just kind of exploring, oh, what what song is he parodying here? And that kind of led me down some other paths. The second song... And this would have been a few years later, was Technotronics Pump Up the Jam, which I guess led into the whole, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to shame the whole genre, like the whole house music scene. I'm out. Yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff I didn't like that. And that carried over for me into my first year of university because you'd go to all... Remember, remember uh, last week when we were riffing on all those great Ottawa drinking holes? Like, uh, yep. On tap and stuff, and they would play all that kind of stuff, plus like the you know, black box, everybody, everybody, and all that stuff. And uh, too unlimited, that's too unlimited. I despised all that stuff, so that would have been that that probably would have been my my trigger as well. Maybe I just buried it. It's like (laughs) now, 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 now I've got technotronics stuck in my head. So those two songs kind of said, okay, I'm out, and and it kind of led me down finding bands like uh Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. It uh, Morrissey, Smiths, The Cure led me to some harder stuff. I was listening to like Ministry, The Rise of Industrial, Skinny Puppy. Um uh, and also I was also listening even today um to a lot of hip hop at that time. And it wasn't I guess it, in some circles it was called hip hop at that time, but it was, you know, primarily just called rap. So arguably probably one of the most influential rap albums would have been public enemies or fear of the black planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was huge in the, uh, it was, I think that came out in 1990 in that, in that time period. Uh, so there was that, uh, and then a rise of a lot of the East coast stuff. So, you know, I was kind of listening to a bit of rap, but it was, it was more or less still going down that alternative band, look, getting into the shoegazing, Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that's coming out of the 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 nineties the, the at that point in time, but but you were saying, Curtis, you kind of went down the quote unquote classic rock. 
I went right, hard right. into classic rock, like like very very. Um, I, I got the uh, I got like I got my first CD player when I think I was in OAC. So like you know the you know the the now now the now defunct fifth year of Ontario High School, and uh, and one of the first. One of the first things I got was the four disc Led Zeppelin box set. And I played the shit out of that. Like I played that so much that I went through and I still love and I love it still. Yes. That that one with the crops. I, I'm, I'm, I yeah. know we're in audio format, but I, I just pulled out the box set. Right? Yeah. This is the, the famous one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it so much that even though I, I never stopped loving Led Zeppelin and I love them to this day, I couldn't listen to them for probably about 10 years just because I listened to that. Like I listened to it all day. And then if I wasn't listening to that, I was listening to the doors or the who or roll or the rolling stones. I wasn't so much into the Beatles. Like I kind of wanted more sort of like rock, you know, harder, mm-hmm. harder rocking sort of older bands, you know, black Sabbath, all that kind of stuff. And that's all I listened to exclusively until 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 like never mind hit and then i was like all right now i'm listening to this you know yeah that, that that's right you know like that kind of rise of grunge started i started caring about more caring more about mo- modern music right yeah. coming out. so i i just like you kind of went down classic rock or the bands i kind of mentioned earlier i started thinking well reading about influence what influenced them and this was another band that i kind of went down the rabbit hole on which was uh, the Velvet Underground. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I'm again audio format, but I'm showing Curtis the uh, box set. No, that of, Andy uh, Warhol. Peel, e, peel slowly and see, right? <laughs> which actually it does peel. I just haven't done it yet, and I probably won't. <laughs> yeah. I tried. I really tried with the Velvet Underground. They're too cool for me. I just, you know, <laughs> I couldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great kind of reminiscing of some of the some of the music going that time. And you're right. Once that kind of grunge period hit there seemed to be like this i don't know if it's worth calling a, a renaissance but um that 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 college university radio sound was becoming mainstream yeah yeah that was the last time that i can remember like really being interested in mainstream like you know i i like i like the occasional i like i like the occasional carrie katie perry or uh or Taylor Swift song, but uh, you know, back then, like it was like I, I felt like I was already wearing like jeans with holes in them and long underwear underneath, and then all of a sudden it became fashionable. <laughs> I was like, "Shit, yeah, this is great!" You know, like that was the last time. Run was the last time I felt like I, like I was in sync with what was kind of like happening, and then I kind of like it, it lasted for like three or four pretty good years and then i i got uh, uh, untracked again and then you know i have no idea what's going on anymore so so i had read somewhere and i don't know if you believe or uh subscribe to this thought but they there was a a, a discussion point that after your after you turn 35 you tend not to listen to any more new music that after that threshold you pass you kind of more or less hang on to stuff that you've historically listened to only. And I, I don't know if you believe that. I don't necessarily. I, I mean, no, I don't think that that's, that there's absolutely no truth to that. Um, but I, I, I think it depends. Like 
I had a friend. Well, he's still my friend, but like he used to work at CP, and he was the uh, and he was like the music writer at CP, and he used to make me uh, year end compilations all the time. So like you know, all pretty new stuff from from that year, and I used to love them. Now, having said that, I think like left to my own devices, I probably would have just been listening to like, you know, Bad Motor Finger and Ten and <laughs> never mind <laughs> for, for eternity. But because it, it, but because I had access to someone who kind of curated it for me, I certainly was open to it. And then I'd listen to to it, and then I'd be like, oh, these guys are you know th- th- this is this is great, and you know I'd start like getting into the you know start looking for other you know, bands that I particularly liked, I'd start looking for more from their catalog and stuff like that. So I think it just depends. Yeah. But, but, but you're not listening to the latest Cardi B though. Uh, (laughs) I mean, unless it's like on sort of that in in the supermarket or whatever, probably not. (laughs) I don't think they're playing Cardi B (laughs) on the supermarket Muzak. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Maybe, maybe in about 15 years, they might uh, be playing, uh, WAP and Muzak format. Yeah, oh yeah. I think so. I think WAP. Yeah, I mean, if you, as long as as long as it's in Muzak, <laughs> the explicit lyrics are, are, are you could totally play WAP in that. And and you could see people uh, dancing in the aisles in the canned good aisles or or something, <laughs> or in the produce section. Uh, yeah, I I I read that and I started thinking to myself, and I went, okay, have I been really adopting any new thing? And you're right, it's not. I wouldn't say it's a complete shut off, but I think the idea is, uh, and and it's tough for us to see because you don't we don't buy music like we did when we were teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. But I guess they were thinking that at that age of thirty five, you're not if if music was still sold in CD format and not streaming like we are today, you find yourself not going into those stores, and I think maybe that's more of a thought. Yeah, that like could you're be. Not, yeah. You know, versus when you were, say, uh, when when you had just graduated from Carleton, you were probably going into HMV, you know, yeah. weekly. They, they even had Mr. Sound and Discus back then. <laughs> exactly. I was going into so, all of those. I got, I got, I got, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, no. In fact, I, I just thought, I thought since, since they're doing vaccinations for Generation X, it would be it'd be uh, almost apt if they did a max a mass vaccination center inside an HMV, an old abandoned HMV. That that would be pretty, you'd, you'd feel more comfortable. You'd feel more at home. <laughs> you'd have a hundred percent adoption. And the person, and the person who, who is administering the vaccine would have to be way cooler than you. Uh, and sort of like, you know, sort of like whatever. And then put the wearing back, a concert you know, tee. Wearing a wearing a concert tee. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about uh, uh, concerts, um, I want to kind of quiz you. Well, not quiz you, but I want to ask what uh, your very first uh, concert was that you've ever been to. The, the very first con. So not including Sharon Lois and Bram at the at the Bram. Not including not uh, Bramley City Center. I saw them there too. Birthday party, right? No, this was the Brampton Civic Center that was right across. Oh. But it was right across the road from the Bramley City Center. Oh yeah, it had the library. Okay, no, 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 no. I well, okay. Besides that one, you're kind of, you know, when you kind of said, "Oh, this is the music I want to listen to," because Sharon Lewis and Brand. Let's face it, that's parents forcing music that those guys. I forced them. (laughs) 
So, so what was your first kind of first concert that you paid your own it was, money? It took me a while to get to one, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The first one I saw, it was, it was on my 18th, it was on my actual 18th birthday, and I saw uh, Aerosmith with opening band Skid Row at uh, what was then the Sky Dome. That's a that's a big concert. Like that's yeah. that's that's just a big deal. Like you know, it was oh, it was okay. pretty good. It was pretty good. Sebastian Bach was like on fire. Like he had the crowd just because he was because you know he because he was from Peterborough, right? So he's making all these Toronto references about like next time you're smoking a joint on Young Street and some cop gets in your face, you just t- get, flip him the finger and all was <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> uh, and and that was that was that was way before he. Uh... He was that regular character on Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it was. It was before then. Yeah, when he was sort of like the fatherly figure on, <laughs> on Gilmore Girls, the cool, the cool, the cool dad playing fatherly figure. Um, my first concert was not as big and grandiose as yours. Uh, again, you can kind of get into my psyche of of what subculture that I I belong to. I, my first concert, uh, I saw ex Bauhaus lead singer Peter Murphy oh, yeah. at the concert hall. Right on. Um, I forgot who opened for him, but um, great presence, you know, small ven- smaller venue. Um, a fight broke out in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> where at one point in time, my friend that I went to the concert with was standing to the right of me when the fight broke out and all things had kind of settled. He somehow got onto the left side of me. He had no idea how that all happened, and um, but yeah, that that was that was that was my 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 first concert. Um, so let me ask you, uh, what was kind of like one of your favorite concerts? Like kind of, actually no, let, let's yeah, let's do your favorite concert. So we talked about your first one, one that, and it doesn't have to be one that you went when you were a teenager. I just thought. Well, actually, maybe yeah, you know, something that defines the generation. Let's let's not say something you want you saw, you know, within the last five years or something. Favorite concert? Well, I got, I have I have two that like if you ask me tomorrow, they might be different. But two that kind of come to mind today is uh, the Headstones. They played at uh, just outside Georgetown in this little town called Norville. There was this there was this bar that used to. I forget what it was called. The Hollywood Tavern. That's what it was called. The Hollywood Tavern. So it was like, you know, like 60, 70 people just crammed into this bar. And uh, and and they were awesome. Like they like like uh, like Hugh Dillon just kicked so much ass. People people were uh, people were trying to give him lit cigarettes. <laughs> and so he's taking them and he's just flicking them back at people. <laughs> it's just awesome and then so they did their set and then and then they were like gonna uh go off for their encore and then and then so he took two steps he was like ah fuck it and he just and they just played like another like six or seven songs it was so good um and then the uh the other one was more recently and it was kind of a surprise uh i saw the hives at the phoenix hmm and they were opening for, or no, they weren't. They 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 uh, they were they were in Toronto because they were opening for Maroon Five at I think uh, ACC, but they had a night off from like having to carry uh, what's his name Adam Levine's jockstrap. So they did a they did a show at the at the uh, Phoenix, and I was like, I like the Hives. I'll go check them out. I was blown away, man. 
no opening band, just them, like, you know, two hours. And that guy, uh, Howling Pella Almfist, he works the crowd. I've never seen like like a frontman so dedicated to his frontman craft. I was I was absolutely like, wow, these guys are amazing. And, you know, they're really not amazing. They're good. They're a very serviceable band. But like they I was amazed the difference between the the um recorded hives experience and the live hives hives experience was night and day. No, that's that that's that those those are pretty good. Those are two pretty big uh, good picks. Um I'll stick with one uh concert that I I I again, I was pretty blown away with. Um Actually no, I got I've got two. I I I lied. Um, so I'll do it like you. Uh, first one was, uh, was I in grade 10? Grade 10 and grade 11. I went and saw uh, Jane's Addiction at uh, uh, the concert hall as well. Um, and it kind of a, 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 a comic book tie-in with us. So I had lost my favorite watch at that point in time. So I had purchased, I don't know, I must have saved up quite a bit for it because I, I had purchased a, a Watchman watch mm-hmm. with the um, with the bloodstained happy face. Mm-hmm. And I lost it at that concert. I was like so ticked off with myself. But that would have been uh, off of uh, uh, their first album. So uh, kind of the Jane Says um, and Mountains days. So that was, that was really good to kind of see them in a small venue. And another band that I saw in a small venue um was uh was oasis oh, yeah. so oasis at lee's palace it, you know it, it was like their first time and I, I someone had invited me i'm like who and then i was like okay oh yeah it's the uh feeling supersonic gin and tonic mm-hmm. guys yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how i referred to them because <laughs> it was just like oh i'll come and I, I had no idea who the band was and again where you're just kind of going whoa there, there's something going on here and of course huge yeah. right yeah yeah Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, like, that, was, that was just sheer luck. So, But uh, let me tell you about a concert that I kind of went to um, hot and then it went cold. Cold being the headlining band. Uh, there were three bands played that evening. This was at the Ontario Place Amphitheater. First band was um, the ska... Yeah, they're still for Scott, right? The ska rock band Fishbone. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Stone Temple Pilots came on. This is Scott Whalen uh, with a chaperone <laughs> uh, <laughs> daily. So this uh, this concert would have been, uh, I'm trying to think what the, this would have been maybe early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So this would, he had just came back. Right, he he and, had he had that one. He had a solo album, and then yeah, and, yeah. and he was you know they were, you know, they had a like you could totally tell he had a chaperone. So amazing, he 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 was so on point. Like like you said, just kind of blown away. Like you know, I listened to Stone Temple Pilots when I was in university. You know, every everyone did at that time, um, and to see them live for the first time, like it was never a band that I. I enjoyed their music. I bought their music, but it was never a band that I really wanted to go see. Um, so that was really cool. Then the headliners came out and I was like, it, it, it cause fishbone, high energy, great. So mm-hmm. pilots. Oh my God. Had the crowd in the, in the palm of his hand. 
And then it took a nosedive when the red hot chili peppers hit the stage. <laughs> I I don't know what it was, Curtis. I think I think it was just so so rehearsed. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was watching a music video, but not live. It didn't feel like they were alive. It felt like they were just projecting something onto the screen. Uh, yeah, it was just lackluster. You'd think, you know, Sriracha Peppers. But that was also near kind of the... the this was years after uh, Sex Magic, right? Right. They're, they're, they're no longer playing just with socks covering their genitalia. Yeah, so you know, but but don't get me wrong. They made stuff that was good after that, but just that time, it was just. Uh, I, I went with um, another Carlton alumni, Tim. He he, he's the one that actually had the tickets, and both he and I both agreed. It was just like, wow, it, it the 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 night, the evening took a huge nosedive. We felt like maybe we should leave and get a head start out of <laughs> driving well, out of never a good sign uh, when you're at a concert. Yeah, it was. You would have thought they would have been very really good, but man, just disappointing yeah that, that, that's all i could say um i want to go back quickly about what you said about the headstone because uh hugh dylan had a, quite the career right like he is on that tv show flashpoint mm-hmm. many years right that's right yeah, yeah and again tying us tying a nice little ribbon on, on the existentialist cucumber uh topics he was the voice of nick in left for dead 2 was he yeah so nick was the pessimistic gambler and con artist that was in the group of four yeah um you know they didn't draw him that made it look like um hugh dylan but, right you know it was it was he he, he had the he had the greatest uh voice lines in that game i love that game i, I miss that game <laughs> yeah he became a pretty successful actor uh you know after um after his headstones days but yeah headstones were like a band that i was really uh i was really into and again for for me, I saw them live a few times. That was my favorite time by far seeing them live. But they were one of those ones where, again, like, if you get a Headstones album, you'd be like, decent bar rock. But then when you mm-hmm. saw them live, they would... I saw them put on a couple of duds, too. I saw them at the Gloucester Fair. Forget it. <laughs> not, not, not worth your time. But I saw them at Roxanne's and Ho. I saw them uh, at Barrymore's. I saw them. And when they're playing those kind of places, they were always on point. Was there a concert that really disappointed you or in one way, shape or form that you can uh, quickly share before we head to the headlines? Oh, gee. Um, hmm, Trying to to think if there was one that was... uh... Or maybe you've just made really good choices. (laughs) I don't go to too many. um, And uh, usually I'm, I'm... Sometimes I, I go see bands that I don't even know, and I'm just really like I got I got dragged to a Jesus and Mary Chain concert in Montreal. I was like never even heard of them. Really. Well, I've heard of them, but I had not, no real idea of them. And they were great. No banter with the crowd whatsoever. Like four oh. five super efficient minutes, and they were fantastic. It was so good. The 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 British shoegazer bands. Well, I know they were probably one of the earlier ones, if you will. They're all like that, yeah. Because I actually have a you you just jogged a, a memory that I had of a of a concert that I was also disappointed in. Um, so in that shoegazing band genre, drug fueled, <laughs> one of the uh, more infamous ones is a, a band called Spaceman Three, and Spaceman one of the band members was a 
artist named Grasshopper. So I saw him in the, I forgot what the bar was. It's in Chinatown. It's now a TD bank. It was on the second floor. It was like this weird, it, it had not, 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 I don't want, it's not the Elmo combo palm tree, but it had mm-hmm. some kind of flamingo type theme to it. Yeah. But, but regardless, it was, it was a small crap hole, um, not even concert hall, dance hall, if you will. Um, and Grasshopper was playing. And I thought, okay, hey, I like Spaceman 3. It's like extension of Velvet Underground. Wow. You want to talk about pretentious, no other word but, you know, the word dick. I'm sorry if, if Spaceman, you're listening to this, but sorry you were. Sure, artists is uh, entitled to be perfectioned for their craft. He played this song. He tried to start it about five or six times like it became awkward like it became what the kids now call cringy he would start the song it would sound fine to the audience and then he would just stop he would stop the band tell them to stop and then they'd do it again it reminded me of uh uh principles uh no uh, reverend lovejoy when he was trying to play the organ and he's <laughs> like oh, don't worry I'll, I'll get it uh, uh, I'll, I'll get this <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, oh don't worry i'll he was doing that, but not being apologetic. Mm. And he was playing the theremin. All right. So the band was trying to jump in. And I, for the life of me, even the people that I went with were like, did you, could you tell the difference between the one that he actually played through versus the other seven false starts? Because it wasn't like, oh, um, someone's instrument was unplugged or whatever. Um, for whatever reason, he didn't hear it, and he wanted it stopped. Um, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Actually, you know what? You <laughs> jogged my memory. There was a concert that I was kind of it. It, it was it was kind of funny though the way it turned out to be disappointing. Is I saw uh, Jethro Tull uh, at the Ottawa Congress. Why? Theater. Why? It's an excellent question. So right there. <laughs> So Jethro Tull, okay, so Jethro Tull is playing the Ottawa Congress Center. It's cabaret style. So there's all these round tables. And I went with like three other friends. So the tables have like uh like eleven or twelve seats. And when we got to our table, there was all these sort of like Ottawa Valley rednecks sitting at it. And they were mm-hmm. spaced out so we couldn't get to our seats. And uh I said to one of the guys, Oh, our seats are at this table too. And he just looked at me and went, Oh, really? And they didn't move. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're standing. So, 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 so we're, we're, uh, we're, we're standing, we're watching the show. And the first half was acoustic. So it was all songs from the woods, you know, Ian Anderson just fluting it up. And then the second half was all electric. So that was going to be your, you know, Aqualung album, you know, thick as a brick, all that kind of stuff. I thought you were just going to tell me that that's all they played was just a, a 20 minute version of Aqualung. <laughs> no, no. But, but what happened, this is what happened was, um, so it was, so because it was cavernous, it also had a bar, right? So yeah, I was in university and I was no stranger to a couple of, uh, you know, Molson Canadians or whatever. So, so my friend and I just are going to the bar, getting drinks. Everybody's going to the bar, getting drinks. Ian Anderson has bar service halted because, we're getting too many drinks and not listening to him play songs from the wood <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. The place gets starts to get real tense. So 
he had to play Aqualung super early, cut like his acoustics at in half, and just go straight into the hits and then wrap things up <laughs> just to keep the crowd at bay. <laughs> so it was pretty it was a pretty shitty concert, but it makes for a good story afterwards. Oh no, that's that's awesome. Aqualung. I can't believe you saw actually I I okay. Uh what one more small story. One uh one musician that again I got I got dragged to the concert. Uh I, I had no interest in his music whatsoever. Uh I I I I may or may not have gone there just for a girl. I don't know. <laughs> um Kingswood music uh what what is it music hall music, music theater. theater? Yeah. So this is in Canada's Wonderland, now defunct. I saw a Steve Miller band. Mm. And uh, uh, Rick Emmett opened for them. Uh, and he yeah, was playing. At, and he was Triumph. Yeah, no, and, and he was, that's all he was playing was Triumph songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Steve Miller. Um, they they rolled out, which probably could have been a cardboard cutout because he didn't move. Oh, God. And he just played the hits. Steve Miller, even though, you know, you were talking about the like those bands that would kind of turn you off. Steve mm-hmm. Miller was kind of like that for me, even though he wasn't of the time of the music that we were talking about. So yeah. many people in my high school loved like that Steve Miller sort of greatest hits album and stuff around that time. And I was like, I'm just not getting the fascination. The lyrics, the, the lyrics are, are, are absolutely like more. They're, they're intellectually bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> well, but maybe maybe you you just proved it even further is dur- with that musical drought p- more people that either didn't take my route and was kind of like listening to college radio station music at the time. Yeah, went back deep into the vaults, right? Mm-hmm. Breaking out Steve Miller for those that didn't really necessarily get the doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe didn't like Floyd or had no idea what they could deal with like i i i i probably didn't start appreciating floyd until when i was much older i think when radiohead's okay computer came out and at the time i was like listening to the crap out of that i thought it was amazing album Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then that led me into this uh listening to uh dark side yeah and i was like wow these two these two albums yeah, musically, they're from different generations, but man, there's, I could, yeah, you could say, I kind of see some parallels, right? Like it was just like this one large musical. Piece. Yeah, there's a vibe. There's, there's a definite like vibe that exists between the two. Yeah, and, and both albums, really, you listen to it from beginning to end, mm-hmm. even though there are tracks, like you're meant to listen to it as one. Yeah. Okay, let's head to the headlines and... Uh, interestingly enough, because it's our music episode, some two music headlines. So um, I already talked about uh, this one a bit at the beginning, but uh, here's the headline. Morrissey wages war on the Simpsons for spoofing him as an aging bigot. <laughs> the, quant- the funny thing is, it, 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 aging maybe, but bigot, he's always been one. Like I, and that, that, that really surprised me, but I, I guess maybe it shouldn't because... When I was listening to Morrissey during my height of Morrissey, I didn't. There wasn't the internet where you kind of get in touch with the artist and their day to day and whatever. Like unless you read New Music Express and all, and you followed him, which Morrissey was not getting mainstream press anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
wow, he is a raging racist, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know until later, much like I think a lot of people didn't know until. And and, and doesn't doesn't he support some type of white nationalist British political group? Oh, like the National Party or something like that, maybe. So, uh, yeah, so the episode of The Simpsons aired uh, a new episode uh, this Sunday. It was called uh, Panic on the Streets of Springfield. It had Benedict Cumberbatch playing uh, the voices. He basically played the two voices, uh, young Quillum B, and obviously the aged version uh, as Lisa and his, her imaginary friend Quillum B um, go to see him live as he is um, in, in modern day, who the character is basically a overweight, greedy, making racist comments <laughs> and... He also decides he's no longer a vegan. And there's this fantastic scene where he's firing a sausage link gun into the crowd, firing sausages into the crowd. And when yeah. the crowd is all, you know, nostalgic. So it, it is it is Morrissey, right? Like he mm-hmm. they, they talk about the fact that Quill and B came from a band called the Snuffs. Mm-hmm. Um what were the what were the the the, the snuffs album or song? Hamburger is homicide. Hamburger is homicide. Yeah. Right. Brilliant. You know, playing. You know, um, uh, paralleling or basically uh, parodying the Meat is Murder album. Right. So, yeah. Um, but it was a great episode. I, I I had not seen a brand new episode of The Simpsons in in many many years, and I heard about the Cumberbatch episode. I didn't know it was a Morrissey spoof. Uh, but more and more you're watching it, it's like, wow, this is really Morrissey. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so Morrissey got onto Facebook on Monday, wrote this huge diatribe, basically saying that's not him, blah, blah, blah. And people are going, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> You've been like that for decades. Yeah. If it wasn't, um, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, uh, if it didn't hit a bit, a bit close to home, he wouldn't have bothered writing that diatribe. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the episode basically uh it, it's it, it just like the simpsons of old there's there's two parallel stories so homer gets this giant pickup truck it comes with a free subscription to slapify mm-hmm. though though we love you spotify um and there's this funny um scene of lisa spending hours and into the night trying to find music and i think a lot of people have that same problem with Spotify as well. There's just so much on there that it's just hard to find something. Mm-hmm. So she finds, she bumps into uh, Quill and B in the snuffs and she starts. And so as a result, Quill and B uh, appears as Lisa's imaginary confidant throughout the episode, guiding her into this new Lisa persona, which is teenager persona, right? Mm-hmm. Teenager Lisa. She's wearing like this faded army coat just got pins and uh, all over it. Um, so the episode guides those two uh, through th- through through you know school adventure and then out and then eventually Lisa goes to see him live, uh, modern day uh, Quillenby. Uh, there is a few uh, songs in there that uh, Cumberbatch sings, which is uh, interesting enough written by. Uh, Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. Yeah, I did find that interesting when you told me. Yeah, that. It, it was just like this episode just kind of, you know, 
It, it hit on all cylinders, except Homer is still just one giant goof. Yeah, he's he's just kind of tiring now. It's like we were talking about earlier. Like he's always been dumb, but now he's just kind of like random and chaotic, and he's not really relatable anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, I I always liked Lisa centric episodes. You didn't get too many of them, so yeah, glad, glad to know that she's still uh, she still brings it. Yep. Yep. No. No. It's 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 good. Uh, let's let's move on to the second music headline. Uh, tragic for a generation, maybe not ours particularly, unless you're a big fan there, Curtis. But uh, Jim Steinman passed away uh, on Monday, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. At seventy. Yeah, so seventy three was it? Seventy. Yep. Yeah. So he was the longtime collaborator uh for meatloaf right i think that would probably be yeah he wrote me yeah he wrote like the music for bat out of hell and i think bat out of hell too back into hell and he's written like if there's he's got a type like you you can tell a jim steinman song from a mile away because yeah. it's super bombastic super melodramatic like grotesquely so so he did like um total eclipse of the heart like when it works it's great he did total eclipse of the heart which i love uh, he did uh, It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion, but there's so there's no real, I don't think, a ton of earnesty in there. It's all a lot of bombast and, and, and stuff like that. And it's funny because uh, I was telling you before. We you, 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 what, what do you mean? <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Light is a very subtle song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, subtlety is not in the is not in the Jim Steinman lexicon. Now, um, now, did he did he also write the some of the music or the song that Meatloaf sang in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Do, you, do we do did we know that? Like, I, I I'm kind of curious because because like you said, that bombastic feel, like the basically the two songs that uh, Meatloaf is in. I, maybe not the one that the, the one where they sing of him. What was his character's name? Eddie. I can't. I don't really know much about Rocky. Oh, come Horror. on, Curtis! Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show. Come on. I just know you throw toast at the screen or something like that. <laughs> um, but but the story is, and again, tying to a, a common topic here is Jim Steinman also wrote a, and I don't know how he got this gig. Maybe he really needed the number, but. Um, he wrote a song for the WWF or then WWF, which was this, as you said, grandiose bombastic instrumental for one Hulk Hogan available on the wrestling album. The first, the first wrestling album. Yep. And it was the Hulk Hogan theme. Uh, It was supposed to be his entrance music, or I don't know if he actually did enter with the song. Maybe he might have Uh, briefly, but like, I mean, he co-opted real American so quickly that, it's mm-hmm. you know but but yeah he he Steinman wrote this song um and but apparently he must have mailed it in because a lot of people are saying hold on it sounds a lot and like a lot of of uh similar to ravishing that he wrote for Bonnie Tyler yeah he he essentially just stripped it of the of the lyrics and <laughs> well actually the funny thing is is uh the WWF album came out first Oh yeah. Then the body tires. <laughs> so you 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 make up your mind where he was mailing it in. Uh, but uh, the article talks about here. Well, the, the, the yeah, the headline is um, 
hear the Jim Steinman written theme song for Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hulk Hogan's theme appeared in 1985's wrestling album and is a sonic sibling to Bonnie Tyler's 1986 song, Ravishing. So the, the quote here is, based on the, based around tinkling piano and quickly overtaken by pulsating synthesizer Hulk Hogan theme and ravishing are nearly indistinguishable. In fact, they're all but the same song until Tyler begins singing in her version. (laughs) (laughs) And Bonnie Tyler can make a song her own, but But, uh, uh, um, the, uh, the funny thing about, uh, I was sort of a, it's sort of a a bit of an embarrassing Jim Steinman (laughs) story that I was telling you before. Um, and this ties into what we were t- uh, talking about Spotify as well. There's this, uh, there's this thing called music league. It's a website called the music league where you can set up these leagues with your friends and everybody submits songs. And then the, the, you know, the people in the league listening, listen to the resulting playlists and then vote on the songs they like and their standings and all that kind of stuff. So our, in the music league I'm in, our most recent week was called fist clenching ballads. So I knew that there was going to be some Steinman content. And sure enough, Total Eclipse of the Heart and and uh, Celine Dion's uh, It's All Coming Back to Me are both on there. And so in the comments, I was like saying, like, I knew there was going to be some Steinman on this. He's so over the top, grotesquely over the top and blah, blah, blah. And I was just kind of ripping on him a little bit. And then the next day he died. So, <laughs> so 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 then i felt and then i was like oh no these comments are gonna get released and there's nothing i can do about them (laughs) you you cursed him man yeah so i felt i felt pretty bad i don't because because the thing is like i do i i I enjoy it in the right circumstances but it's so ridiculously over the top and sometimes it's just too much are you allowed? Is 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 there is there a, a coordinator that um, suggests or sets the the theme, or can you suggest the theme? You can do it. Um, I don't know if there's a way that you can get like the website to do it for you. That would be interesting. Um, okay, but this is like Heather uh, basically runs it, so she uh, consults with and like a different person from the league suggests the theme every week. So she'll coordinate with that person and get the theme and get it out there so you, you gave me a, a, a hilarious idea only because it reminded me of the story which i didn't put on our headlines because it didn't fit in the music one it sort of does oddly it the guys that got in trouble for bringing the stripper onto their construction oh. site yeah, yeah just like your fist not that i thought stripper and fisting came together but <laughs> your fisting clench clear fist clenching ballads i dare you curtis suggest a playlist of the third song which would be oh. the third song in a stripper's uh routine that's really good that's really you good. know like the number one song would be uh white snake right oh yeah yeah for sure um, here i go again is that is that the song here i go again yeah yeah <laughs> we had we did the second week we had a pervious song which is sort of the same not quite i mean i think there's a certain art to picking that third song uh, I came in second that week with my selection of 17 by Winger. Uh, continuing on that Hulk Hogan uh, song. So obviously the so- Jim song was never used. It was then uh, co- he, Hogan co-opted the Rick Derringer, right? It was Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer, yeah. yeah. Rick Derringer, yeah. He, that that, that 
uh, wrote Real American. Like, isn't it insane? Like those musical people writing for Vince. <laughs> I think Der- Derringer. Uh, I don't think Steinman, to my knowledge, did anything for Vince again. But uh, Derringer came back for Piledriver, the wrestling album, too, with the demolition theme. So he was. Well, like, hey, he was. He was in. Uh, he was. He was in the. He was in the circle for uh, for a while. So, uh, like you said, uh, the real American theme was originally written for what, what was the Mary Windham and Mike Rotundo, the tag team. I forget what they yeah. were called. Uh, the uh, they weren't they weren't the Rock and Roll Express, were they? Rock or they were they the Patriots? No, not the Patriots. Uh, well, the the funny thing is the two of them. So I think if I can if I get this right. Rotundo married Wyndham's sister. Okay, I, I could be completely wrong, uh, but but if, stay stay with me. Uh, wrestling tie-in story. Their child is Bray Wyatt. Oh, okay. WWE now. So the fiend, the yeah, what probably be like? He's like the 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 out there artist when it comes to wwe yeah. he doesn't care about and, and 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 maybe right now today like the title is nice but that character is not about winning titles like it doesn't care like yeah <laughs> he's almost like a performance artist just oh. just in in but in in wrestling you know he's a wrestling performance oh yeah artist. like it's it's crazy but yeah it's it's interesting so um uh because i think actually his name is his real name is Wyndham. And he, he refers to his uncle. So I have a funny feeling there's some type of family relationship there. But right. uh, either way, so uh, Darren, they they leave for N, uh, NWA and then Hogan takes on Real American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this quote here from Derringer saying, uh, I never intended it to for the WWF. Um, Real American, I remember thinking, we have we have written the most patriotic song of all time. <laughs> um but let me let me tell you when that song hits it still gets a huge pop oh yeah just that 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 guitar right that yeah like the like that the uh stone cold you you know the glass shattering there's certain things that would always that would always get pops oh yeah um Actually, I, I wanted to say one thing that happened musically in uh, in WWE this this week on Raw, uh, the New Day. So this is Kofi Kingston and uh, Xavier Woods. Um, I, I, I you have to forgive me, Curtis. I know you're still playing D and D, but uh, it is a one on one match. Kofi was wrestling, and Xavier's outside the ring with a bass guitar. Usually he's out there with a trombone That's right, to yeah, distract. Yeah. So he's got this bass guitar and uh, let's just say he summons or casts a bardic like <laughs> spell on Kofi. <laughs> he starts playing the bass line for the Stone Cold theme. <laughs> and this was during the time when Kofi is down on the ground and mm. he's, and the, the the heel is like confronting Xavier going what are you doing you know so he starts playing the stone cold theme yeah and it acts like a bardic um buff <laughs> and Kofi gets up 
and he starts going into Stone Cold's moves. So he does like Luthes press, starts starts pounding him, swings him into the corner and starts stomping the mud hole. And it, all this time, Xavier's still playing out there. Do, 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 do. I thought that segment was hilarious. That's and, amazing. Um, what what is, is there such thing as that? I, I, I now now I'm really ticked off myself. Where you 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 can do some kind of bardic musical, like because that's what the bard does, right? Bardic plays inspiration, music buff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's 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 what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So you did a bardic inspiration on Kofi For with sure. the Stone Cold theme. For sure. I I thought I thought that was fantastic. That is but, great. You know, Great, great use of music. And WWE's always been a big supporter of, of, you know, mainstream music, right? Even today, you know, they always have a band or bands playing at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. There's always like songs and maybe not so much where they're getting big bands um, doing their theme. Like probably the, besides Derringer doing uh, Real American, um you know, a famous one would have been when the Undertaker, when he was the biker, was rolling into uh, Limp Biscuit, right? Limp Biscuit, yeah. Uh, there was a, they had that one. They had that one phase where they had like the because um, remember, uh, uh, Run DMC did the DMX or uh, D not DMX. Run DMC <laughs> did, the, did the Degeneration X theme, and they they used that one for a while. I think Our Lady Peace did the uh, Chris Benoit theme. Chris Benoit used for a while. Um, in a more modern day, and I, I hadn't seen her in in I don't know long long time, but she she's 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 looking really good for you know let's just be honest for her age. Um, Ronda Rousey was using um, a Joan Jett's song. It'll come oh, to ba- me. Oh, uh, bad reputation. Bad reputation. Yeah. and she played her in at WrestleMania. So that would have been 60,000 plus. So when was the last time Joan Jett played in front of 60,000 people, her yeah. big song, but man, she, you know, she looked like she almost did, did in the seventies. Like I, I just hadn't seen her in a while. And it was just like, wow. Um, pretty amazing, but always a big supporter of, of music and music is very huge in wrestling, right? Like, you know, that, like you said, those first few bars introducing the wrestlers, like huge, right? I would say to anybody listening right now, if you want to get the most out of the music and wrestling hybrid, look up. There's never been a right time to say goodbye by Bret Hart, and thank and thank me later. <laughs> Didn't Jesse do uh, Jesse the Body have his own song where he was not really rapping but kind of talking? Uh, I'm sure he. I'm sure he must have. I I, I have a funny feeling he did, but like uh, I just remembered a music video. That's all. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. Uh, wrapping up our headlines, always there for us are Guinness Genius, uh, or Mr. Idaho Man has done it again, Curtis. No more than two days ago, Idaho Man catches balls with bucket on his head to reclaim Guinness title. Man. So David Rush, the gentleman who has over 150 Guinness records to promote STEM education, uh, reclaimed his title um man i can't believe he lost it in the first place but also you and i said even though last week's um one was very good where the stacking of the soap Mm -hmm. this one we kind of question his legitimacy of this title because he is he has this giant wash 
bucket on his head and he's holding it with his hands. I thought at first he was just doing it with no hands. He just had, so he's holding this bucket while his partner is throwing balls into the bucket. It's a, it's a big bucket, so it's hard to miss. So I don't know where the challenge is there. You and I both say that really it's the partner that has that record because he has to throw, in this case here, to reclaim the record, 107 balls into this bucket within a minute. Mm-hmm. So he's just standing there. He's just standing there holding the bucket, the bucket on his, on his head. head. And, and it's, not a, it's not a small bucket, so maybe there's some... It's not like a a, a a solo cup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He doesn't have to <laughs> this do is much a, movement. Like this is something that you're washing clothes, a small child, maybe a, a, a giant watermelon. I don't know. Do you wash a watermelon? I guess you don't, right? No, I don't think it just because the, the rind is so thick. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to wash it. But uh, yeah. So, so really it's the other guy who's doing the lion's share of the the work because he's the guy who's got to throw the balls at a, at, at like breakneck speed. Breakneck he's speed. Be accurate. He's the one who has to be accurate. That's right. Accurate. And there's an endurance factor because we calculated that in order for him to achieve the 107 catches, he had to throw an average of 1.8 balls per second. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're basically, you know, flail your arms with some accuracy for a minute. And I, I bet you can't do it. <laughs> no. So I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed again this week, but not with David no, Rush. Not, not, with his, exactly. With, maybe, maybe with his buddy. With his able assistant. That doesn't get enough credit. Oh, yeah. And, and unfortunately, it wasn't a, I couldn't find a, a musical um, a world record that he beat, but this was just more ridiculous. So <laughs> out you go. Uh, sorry. What was his name again? Uh, Mr. Rush. Uh, David. We'll 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 catch you next week. Um, but uh, last week also we we saw the fifth episode, so the penultimate episode of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Another huge beginning at the uh, start. Um, obviously it was the confrontation between Walker and our two buddies. Mm-hmm. And then the episode kind of brings the audience back down because like you said the the pacing of the of the last couple episodes have been strong and hard and yeah my heart could barely manage it and yeah they they had to bring it back down a bit to kind of so they brought the two back to civilization not so much of a fighty one more kind of more character and story building. I I I like this episode too. Mm-hmm. Um and uh there's this great scene or scenes of uh, Sam trying to come to grips with getting the shield back and 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 what it means. So now that he has it back, uh, and there's this great scene where he turns his back on the wings, mm-hmm. which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, the wings get damaged. In fact, they get torn apart by uh, Walker. And there's this scene where I forgot his name, but uh, Torres, I think. Uh, Torres, his 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 military uh compadre who basically i think is his tech guy he's been fixing the wings at all and he sam is walking away and he he goes hey you're forgetting the wings or what do you want me to do with this and sam just says keep them right Mm -hmm. like in a a really kind of disdain voice like he's done with being the falcon but he's carrying the shield right Mm -hmm. so 
And there's this great scene where they come back and he goes back to talk to Isaiah. I thought that was a great scene too, yeah. because then it became, you know, what what does it mean being a black Captain America in the States, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think... I think what you were you were saying earlier is like, uh, you know, Sam seems to like his decisions at the beginning of the show seem to sort of indicate that you know like uh, maybe uh, America isn't ready for for a black Captain America or maybe he does he doesn't think that he he at least for him that they're mm-hmm. ready for him as Captain America, and then after he has that that. Uh, sort of uh, talk with Isaiah, which was quite, you know, emotional. Um, you know, he kind of comes out of it eventually, and uh, thinking like, you know, it doesn't matter what America's ready for; it's whether or not I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah. he, so he, so he, 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 he gets past that sort of internal block that he had by the end of the episode. There's a interesting scene where they close the uh they tie the knot close the loop on zemo so zemo is at the sokovia i guess memorial and bucky catches up to him there with the wakandans um they have a small chat um and uh i guess bucky kind of puts to rest uh zemo on his list because Mm -hmm. he pulls the trigger on the empty gun Mm -hmm. right yeah Uh, and then the wakandas the wakandans take him um and i guess taking him to wakanda to serve the rest of his life in a jail there yeah which might be better than that federal prison that he was in anyways yeah yeah i think so he was but not before he asks for the for favor which leads at the very end of the episode. Well, it, it, it shows up before the end. So uh, Bucky goes to visit Sam in uh, in, the, in in New Orleans, and he I assume that's where it is, right? Did they actually say? I think they. I think at the beginning of of the of the season, they said that they were in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And he brings the a briefcase, which oddly enough, I went back to watch uh, Infinity War, and it it's the same briefcase that uh bucky's arm came in mm-hmm. like stylistically right right so it was obviously a present from the wakandans um and then at the end of the episode sam opens it but he doesn't reveal to the audience what it is so we'll we'll see it this week um any theories curtis well it's definitely i mean it's definitely a suit i would say it's it's a suit or, or or like you know some sort of paraphernalia some sort of paraphernalia i don't know if it could be like 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 a new kind of wings like maybe maybe he's moving on from those other wings because they're they're like you know they're sort of like military property and he wants to go his own path um could be something like that um so you're so you're thinking it's it's going to be a continuation of the falcon character I think it might be it might be because and the only the one reason I say that is because when Sam Wilson takes up the shield in the comics he still has his flight powers so he's like a Captain America with with wings so I'm wondering if they're going to go that route as well in the But uh, it, am I am I being am I getting confused but it, 
isn't it uh is it always it hasn't been always been mechanical i thought sam had organic wings or am i mistaken he did have more um sort of organic looking wings okay like i don't think that he's like angel from the x-men where they're oh okay 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 but yeah yeah okay got it but they look like regular sort of like more sort of like uh yeah more animal wings or like like bird wings or whatever now there's this great training montage of of sam throughout that episode getting ready um for the final fight i guess uh i don't i i'm thinking i'm thinking the same thing i think it's a suit i don't know about the wings part but definitely a suit um to also tip the balance i'm maybe they'll give him some of the black panther suit powers like that whole kinetic energy buildup thing um uh, but I have my my guess is it's a new Captain America, uh, costume mm-hmm. or armor or however you want to look at it. maybe with wings or without. I, I I'm not thinking the wings, but you're right. It's kind of kind of weird to not for him not to have some kind of flight. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, maybe he gets away from it altogether. I mean, it's possible, but I just know like he 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 retained that sort of power when mm-hmm. he became Captain America. Yeah, in the comics yeah. so they can do their own thing obviously but uh so another big thing and the fanboys go crazy is the um julia lewis dreyfus i always get her name all mixed up uh but uh, her cameo as uh, the crazy long name val yeah uh in the comic books known as uh madam hydra right yeah um kind of the bad guy version of nick fury would that be kind of quick talking yeah i guess yeah i think so i mean she sort of like holds a i guess a sort of analogous sort of position yeah. in 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 hydra but uh so she shows up to ostensibly recruits john walker mm-hmm. um now i believe the original plan and i i could be wrong that she is actually in the black widow movie Mm-hmm. that she was supposed to be introduced in that movie and then she makes the cameo in falcon and winter soldier but because the movie kept getting delayed obviously they didn't feel that the order of things doesn't really matter as much mm-hmm. but i think she gets more screen time in black widow right right uh, so maybe yeah i guess normally you would have seen that first and then and then when you see her show That's up right. in this you'd be like whoa all right exactly because yeah. it's 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 less of a shock like we 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 as the audience know who she is an actress but then it's like mm-hmm. like it's a bit of a it adds to the even more and we'll talk about this of, of set up for the last episode because they introduce her late we have one episode left and there's a lot to resolve mm-hmm. yes um but uh, you know, another great episode. Um, uh, you and I were saying that uh, the the relationship of the two are finally here. They're now gelled. Yeah, right? they're friends now. Uh, after this episode, rather than sort of partners of convenience or or what have you, we were talking earlier though about how it's kind of funny that there's a episode that sort of brings brings it down as the penultimate episode 
you know, rather than rather than like having an having the penultimate episode ramp up right at the end and then you're in the the final episode. It seems weird from a pacing point of view. It'll probably mm-hmm. work fine. But normally that's like a midway through the season type of thing. You're right. Like usually it's used as a the heroes go back to where, you know, their base or wherever they go to their quiet time and lick their wounds, prepare, preparing for the final battle. But you're right. This one, the pacing of this one has always been kind of weird. But you're right. We got one more episode. Uh, Carly and George St. Pierre have now um, joined forces. Mm-hmm. We have John Walker fabricating a new shield, which would be like the bargain basement version of the shield. Mm. <laughs> Looked pretty sweet. Looked pretty sweet, but it was more like the, <laughs> more like a cosplay version rather than you know vibranium. So yeah. I' not sure where that's going. Unless Hydra was able to su- to to supply him with some uh, some kind of maybe not vibranium, but like. I, I don't know if adamantium exists in the MCU, but something along titanium, one of those. There's all kinds of strong metals in the mm. in the MCU. Yeah, but he's fabricating it in his garage. <laughs> it's not like he's in Stark Industries. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it, it, he's not even like he's on... Um, you ever watch that... Uh, I don't know if it's on TLC, but it's one of the, that, that's Forged in Fire, that, that sword building oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, game show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he doesn't even have that kind of a setup no not you know no far from it yeah. um so our heroes are now faced uh you know conflict on both ends i don't think we're gonna see madam hydra anymore mm-hmm. uh and then there's the questionable uh motives of sharon right there was this theory mm-hmm. that's been mm-hmm. going around the internet that um, all the good guys have been using Apple iPhones, and I and apparently there is a thing in the sponsorship of Apple that uh, only the good guys get to use Apple products. Um, and it, it was observed that Sharon does not use an Apple phone, and there is that setup where it seems like um, Sharon sets up George St. Pierre with uh, Carly. Right, right, she's on the phone with Batrock, yeah. So, I guess the question, and, and we still don't know who the power broker is. Mm-hmm. Now, two possibilities for your theory building is it madam hydra or is it sharon mm-hmm. or do we care i guess it could be to or is it a d- different person altogether yeah yeah um but what what i can see it unlike wandavision and i know the fans like again they always lose their crap over it no no season two obviously but mm-hmm. uh i can totally see a season two for falcon and winter soldier mm-hmm. Sort of lends itself to to it, right? Like, like you were saying before, like you you could make it just like a, uh, you know, the the mission, a new mission each season, sort of thing, a new a new mission that can be you know dealt with in a six episode arc every season. Mm-hmm. You could do that, and and especially if you keep the season short, you could do that for a while. You know, it will be like it will be like twenty four, where you're doing the same conceit over and over. And you're like, how can they? How can there be a fourth season of this? Yeah, like after the first twenty four hours, aren't you like done? Like I'm done. I'm done with life. I I, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, because we we're talking, this is our music episode. Uh, the music in Falcon Winter Soldier is very much similar to just your 
regular Marvel music, um, much different than WandaVision, where music plays a huge mm-hmm. thing, right? It, 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 they have a theme, different theme song for each television era, and it, it plays a big uh, role in there. Um, but I, I did find something interesting because I, as I went back nostalgically, um, I rewatched Winter Soldier and uh, a bit of um, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, some interesting things about, about music there. There's a scene where you meet Sharon and Sharon tells in, in uh, Winter Soldier, Sharon tells Steve, oh, you left your radio on. And Nick's in in uh, Steve's uh, apartment. But the song that he is blasting is the same song that ends Endgame, the one that um, Carter and and Steve are dancing to. Right. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I, you know, it's been years since I kind of watched the two together, but I thought, oh, okay, well, that's kind of neat. It's like that little, yeah. you know, 40s waltzy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or 30s, I guess it would have been 30s waltzy. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a, it's a nice detail. Yeah, no, no. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be a oh, one more thing. So can't wait till the final episode. Be great. Uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about before we sign off is Marvel released the Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. Thoughts there, Curtis, or you did see it. I, I assume did. you saw it like the rest of the world did. <laughs> What's thoughts? Uh, I saw it. Yeah. I mean, like it's a teaser, right? So you're still, you know, there's a lot of questions about, about, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Shang Chi. Now Shang Chi in, I don't know much about him in the, in the comics. He's been around for a while. I think, I think I did recently read a run of heroes for hire where he was like, him and Colleen Wing and Misty Knight were all in it. Um, mm. And obviously he's a, he's a martial artist, but is he supposed to be, am I wrong? Am I conflating him with someone else? Is he supposed to be the son of a gangster? Yeah. Yeah. So he's the son of a gangster well, who turns her, who, who becomes heroic. So the, the original induction of the character. So the original run of the, of the, of his title was the, master of kung fu right and shang chi is this oh you'll you'll love this shang chi is the son of fu manchu so so not just any gangster (laughs) yeah the gangster (laughs) so obviously for obvious reasons because it's a horrible racist stereotype character the villain or the character in shang chi is not fu manchu but it is his father right um Wang Wen, played by Tony Lung, which is a he's a very famous uh, Hong Kong uh, movie star. Yeah, um, and uh, so you, there's a, obviously a, a going to be a confrontation between him and his father. Um, and I think the Ten Rings are also slightly different interpretation in the in the MCU. So the Ten Rings are kind of the the Shaolin monk bracelets, I guess. I don't know if you've ever seen in old Kung Fu movies, though there's a, there's a weapon where they have uh, rings along your forearm and you use it as defense. And you can also use it as a, as a weapon. Right. Um, because I think in the comic books, the 10 rings are literally wings and there's like some type of, I think it, there's like a warrior spirit, uh, a spirit of a warrior of different warriors in each ring. And you, 
you're imbued with the power of you know all of them right um but i think the the father is supposed to also i th- from what i understand is the true mandarin so wrapping ah, right. wrapping yeah. iron man 3 yes iron man, iron man so, 3 had the uh the ben kingsley sort of front man front and yeah. then you find out it was this guy but it really wasn't this guy so this is the true mandarin yeah of the 10 rings um uh gang or or mafia group which i think they're they may tie in the mandapore thing possibly right right and then pot and then also maybe you see the aftermath of um jeremy renner's hawkeye ronin character because he must have went through the ten rings right as well so um so it's all they all tie it together nicely you know it's it's not these weird intersections that star wars attempts to do (laughs) (laughs) but no it's it's great you know and and like i'd be i'd be lying to say oh wow this is great to kind of see see my my brethren on the screen playing uh superhero characters and 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 especially with marvel because the marvel treatment for everything like you know this will be the black panther for the chinese asian community right right? yeah yeah um where it's it's not a parody there there's there's they're honoring the culture and it's and it looks decent enough like and a canadian um, in the lead yeah jung (laughs) jung from kim's convenience (laughs) i can't see him not as jung but uh yeah simu uh toronto boy uh yeah he's he he looks you know he looks good on the screen like the screen looks good on him right so yeah he kind of looked like i kind of got the sense that he the reason i was like reminded of the gangster father because he kind of looks it kind of looks like he's going to go through this journey where he's sort of like an entitled sort of like an entitled dude to becoming like the the warrior that he becomes in the in the comics well yeah because i think the whole thing is uh, the trailer alludes to the fact that his father puts him through this rigorous training to one day become i guess the next mandarin yeah but there's also those weird ancient scenes that you see in the trailer. So, and it, it looks like Tony Lung is still playing with it. So I don't know if it's like an ancestor or is it the fact that the Ten Rings is giving him this long-lasting life, right, right, um, or imbuing him with like the the right, power yeah. from an ancient warrior, maybe or something like that. Yeah, because uh, the Shang Chi character would fall in that magical realm of doctor strange mm-hmm. um what was it what, what did they call it the big three androids aliens and, and wizards? wizards yeah yeah and so, the sorcerer is a wizard without a hat <laughs> that's right so shang chi would fall under that umbrella mm-hmm. right he's not he's not the aliens he's not in space he's not android or or what though i think in the comic books doesn't tony stark make them these crazy stark industry nunchucks I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think that happens. But we'll, we'll see. Again, that is uh, scheduled for September. So you can kind of see what's happening here. Falcon and Winter Soldier ends. There's a small break. Then Black Widow comes out. After Black Widow comes out is Loki. Mm-hmm. After Loki ends is Shang-Chi. It's like Marvel just. When are we getting uh, the second Doctor Strange movie? That's what I want to know. 
I think they're filming it right now. So yeah. it might be either filming or they're in post. Right, so right. I, I don't think it will be Thanksgiving. It might be early next year. Right. Yeah. I think, I don't think it will make, I, I think it probably was shooting for Thanksgiving. But everything got pushed back and yeah. 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 Because when we were, I think maybe halfway through uh, WandaVision, they, um, Elizabeth Olsen was filming for Doctor Strange. So they were still doing principal photography, say about a month or two ago. Right, right. Um, Shang-Chi was filmed in Australia and Simu was, struck, is, was stuck there. Um, so basically a year ago, uh, they, they, that was filmed. Because mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is he had to do the first few episodes of Kim's Convenience over Zoom. So they 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 conjured up this story about how Jung went to California to take this business course. So yeah, you know, so he's there <laughs> on Zoom, you know, doing a Zoom call with everybody, and that's how he got. In, that's how he was able to to be on the show until he was able to uh, fly back home. Right, right. Or or finish the movie and fly back home because again. Uh, that movie was in principal photography while uh, the pandemic, just when the pandemic hit. But Australia did such a good job locking things down. Like by the time they finished filming or yeah, they were finished filming. Simu was saying, you know, because I follow him on Instagram. He was, oh, I'm going out to a restaurant to eat. This is weird. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. also looking forward to getting our shot and maybe getting to a step closer to eating out at that restaurant. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully within the next couple of months, you know. Oh, you know what? We, we, we had our music episode, but let's let's talk a bit about it, Curse, because uh, every episode of The Existential Cucumber, we have our theme song at the beginning and, and our t- trailer song at the end, which is done by your band. That's right. The Corporate Valentines. That's right. The Corporate Valentines. So... That was from our most recent album, uh, which is uh, our COVID-19 album, which stands for Corporate Valentines Do 19 Songs, because um, there are 19 songs on the album. The album is not re- not going to be released. It is only for, for our for our amusement. Oh, no. <laughs> NFT. We could, we could. We could. That's an excellent point. We should look into that. But uh, that song, that song, uh, "Working from Home," is our ode to. Uh, it's it's like a Bachman Turner Overdrive song for the pandemic times, and 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 you can hear it right now as as we play ourselves out. So thank you again, Curtis. You can catch Curtis and I weekly on Spotify and Apple Podcast, where you can go and give us that five star rating, leave a comment. It helps others find us so for curtis and i thank you so much for listening and just remember that sometimes a cucumber is just a cucumber